0: Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. The first game of the Euros has happened this week in what is actually our officially numbered 100th episode of the Russian Football News Pod. But first, I'll have to apologise for my own sore throat. Um, Woke up, unfortunately, this morning with a a little bit hairy, hairy cough, and perhaps induced off the England-related celebrations yesterday, so hope you can all excuse me for that. Uh, secondly, I would like to probably extend the best wishes and and, and everything from everyone here and RFN towards Christian Erikson. Um What happened yesterday was a scary reminder that there's far more important things than football, and to see his recovery and stabilization and everything afterwards when when it went on is um is is great news. And although the coverage in England of the event was particularly galling, I'm not gonna try and focus on that. And what I wanna want to highlight is just the quick work of Anthony Taylor, the referee, in particular Simon Kerr as captain, uh Caspar Schmeichel and the entirety of the medical team and those involved who Essentially saved Christian Eriksson's life on the pitch yesterday. Um it's emerged since that he suffered a cardiac arrest and was actually flatlined, um, pronounced dead at one point with until the CPR and the defibrillator managed to, to basically recover him from the cardiac arrest. So essentially best wishes to himself and family and and just a scary reminder that family is and life is far more important than sometimes just things that happen on the pitch. But one thing that did happen on the pitch is that Belgium and Russia took place, which was the opening game of Group B in the Euro 2020 Of for either team. As expected, Belgium world ranked number one and one of the tournament favourites destroyed Russia 3-0 in the end. Uh, it was goals from Romelo Lukaku, Thomas Mounier, and a third from Romelo Lukaku later on that saw Russia off. Uh, to quickly go through the Russia side, just as a quick quick start, it was a uh, surprising formation. Um, Stanislav got rid of his usually favoured back three, probably because of the injury to Fyodor Kudryashov and his lack of trust in general in other central defenders. The young, some of the younger lads in the squad, and as such, it was uh, Anton Shunin in goal, uh, back four of Mario Fernandez, Andrei Savjannov. Uh, more on his disastrous performance later on. Jozhizhikia uh, and Yuri Zhirkov at left back. Um, Yuri Zhirkov dusting off a Zimmer frame in his 37th year to, to start again in for the international tournament for Russia. Uh, midfield two with Dmitry Baranov and Magomed Ostoyev. And then Roman Zubnin, Alexander Golovin, Dalek and Artem Zuba as the attacking unit. And to discuss the match today, I'm joined by, as always,
1: Richard from the RFN pod. Good evening. Good evening, uh, James. Hope you're well. Um, I'm, I'm also quite well as well. Been, been enjoying the Euros so far. So, apart from Saturday night's game, of course. <laughs> now, if
0: you would wonder why, why would I introduce Richard from the RFN Pod? Because we all know Richard's from the RFN Pod, but it's because we are joined this week by a special guest, and that is uh, Ben Jackson from the Belgian Football Podcast. Now, for those who might remember, we had Ben on last for the one of the group games, uh, Zenit against. Uh, Bruges way back when, back when
2: the domestic season was still in place. So, Ben, glad to have you on again, mate. Cheers, James. Yeah, nice to be back on. Um, I feel I like quite enjoy seeing Belgian teams play in St. Petersburg this season. It's been quite successful. <laughs> so, yeah, but thanks for having me on. Yeah, nice to see you as well, <laughs> Richard. Yeah, it's definitely not the first.
0: I mean, at least this one, we kind of expected it. Uh, last time I remember saying that, while we weren't particularly confident and optimistic about Zeta's chances, we thought that that match in particular could have been their best shot at getting anything out of the group. But in terms of here, I think uh, when I was live-tweeting the match from the RFN account. And at the end of the game, I basically said, look, this is Belgium, number one ranked team for a reason. The quality throughout the throughout the side is just stupendous, really. But from a Russian point of view, it's just a little bit of a shame that particularly in the first half, the lack of urgency, the lack of real organization and and not effort, I don't think that's effort to be fair, but there's just there's something distinctly lacking from the performance. And then both goals early on were were quite large mistakes, Richard. What what, what did you take what was your take on Andre Semyonov's uh, pretty horrific back pass?
1: Oh god, it was It was just kind of the worst possible start for them, wasn't it? Um, Obviously, look, it's caveated by the fact that Belgium are one of the top sides in world football. They're definitely one of the favourites for the European Championships. They've got quality all over their squad. And when you're coming against an opponent who have quality all around their squad in so many different areas, even with the absence of Kevin de Bruyne, you literally cannot make fatal errors against them like like Russia did in defence. And... It was just literally the first goal. Semyonov's feet were just... He was just in such a bad position when um, when Thomas Mounier put that ball in. Um, was it Mounier? It was... Um, who was it? Uh, it was... Uh, sorry, Jason Mertens. Jason Mertens put that ball in. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up. I know Mounier did one of the assists. <laughs> but yeah, um, when he, he was in such a bad position and, you know, he got his feet all wrong... And then it literally just bounced to Romelu Lukaku in the penalty box. And given how just how good Lukaku has been for Inter this season in Serie A, he doesn't need a second invitation. He will score those chances. He's he's on he's been on red hot form, and I think he really could be the man of the tournament this year uh, in the European Championships. And then that's a bad start. And then <laughs> so it just got from bad it just went from bad to worse for Semyonov, didn't it? There was a a complete hospital pass. He played across to Shakir, which was intercepted. And uh, it was such a good job. Georgie Shakir got back to tackle Lukaku. He literally had to make that intervention or it would have been 2-0. Uh, and yeah, and just all that half, you know, um, he struggled to me enough. I think um, on, um, on who scored, he was given a, an overall match rating of, um, of um, 4.9, which isn't very good and kind of summed up his evening. Yeah. And then also, yeah, Anton Shunin, um, also, you know, um, for the second goal, he really needed to put a, have a stronger hand on that for the uh, the shot that came across. He parried it straight into the path of Mounier. And it is interesting with um, with Semyonov and, 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 um, and Shunin, the two players who in the past couple of years, I think, have been quite reliable, steady performers for their clubs. And whilst they've still had good seasons this season, I think the level has dropped a little bit. I mean, obviously, they've been part of the national team for a while now. Cherchesov was not going to drop them uh, from the squad. You know, they're still probably amongst the best options Russia have got, really. But they have had dips this season in their form compared to previous seasons. Um, and, yeah, I think that performance in the first half showed it, especially from Semyonov. He was literally all over the place. Shakir was literally covering for him so much. And yeah, it just when you go two goals down against a side like Belgium, early doors, your chances just evaporate because they've got quality all over the pitch. And it was always going to be a difficult evening um, after that. And and then yeah, in the second half, whilst Russia improved in the second half, I think Belgium they literally didn't need to get out of third gear. They were they had they had so much more they they could offer. Um, Scurry fought for the rest without Kevin De Bruyne in that midfield, and probably mm. with a couple of gears to go up. And the third goal, yeah, I know Dive probably could have been a little bit better. Igor Dive, who came on at half time. So I actually thought he had a decent second half overall. But, you know, a few people have criticised him for getting outpaced by Lukaku for the goal. But Lukaku is just <laughs> that good, you know. And at the yeah. end of the day, he's in red hot form at the moment. I'm, I'm not going to lay the blame on Dive too much for that. I think he, I mean, I'm going to credit Lukaku. That was just brilliant. Brilliant forward player. Lovely finish as well. Um, and, yeah, Belgium were just far, far too good for, for Russia. Um, and, you know, I think they're definitely in a strong position to win all three games in this group. And Russia have got to pick themselves up quickly for the game against Finland on um, on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, certainly. It's uh, the manner of the defeat in terms of the self-inflicted goals were quite stark and worrying for the other two games, I think, going forwards. Um it's, it, I, w- I would have taken it out of context a little bit and just and just thought ah it's only, it's, it's Belgium Russia always struggle against Belgium and Belgium as you said are, are, are so good but there are lingering worries there and it these were these worries linger back to team selection in the first place squad selection in Stanislav Chechesov with these bizarre formation change right in the last minute I thought Russia looked far more comfortable in the back three it allowed protection. Especially for Semyonov's era. Semyonov, ironically, doesn't actually make that mistake domestically very often. He's quite a solid, consistent defender, but he's terrible on the ball. He's never been good at carrying the ball out of defence and progressing up the up the pitch with it. So having a man either side of him helps that, it protects him a little bit. But the thing about Semyonov is that he really doesn't have the quality to to match players at this level. I totally agree on Devere. Um He got done for base by Lukaku, which is, look, it's Romelu Lukaku, when he's up in steam like that, and he's in the form he's in right now, there's very few defenders who could stop him. Uh, the My bigger initial problem was allowing Mounier just to complete freedom of the pitch to cut in from the wing-back and and just go through the entirety of the Russian midfield without anybody really getting closer to him. Uh, that was quite, quite worrying. But, Ben, if I want to... Step back a little bit from the game first and just put Belgium in general. What were your thoughts on the squad composition of Belgium and what is the current status with De Bruyne and, and his injury that everyone knows
2: about? Yeah, so I guess it's kind of you look at this team and you just think if you just look at the attacking lineup and the attacking players they've got, it is just ridiculous. Like there's just so many good players in there. And like Richard was saying, like there was no De Bruyne and no Vitzel in this game. They're playing like Tiedemans and Dendonka, and you can still dominate a game like this and look ridiculously comfortable. Um defence is the one kind of area that everyone's a bit like has like this is like their golden generation, but it has that generation the defensive generation just kind of missed the tournament because they're just slightly too old now. But I think on Saturday it was kind of the best game for them in that sense, and they weren't really tested too much. Boyata came in, and he was a bit of a surprise. Um Denaro had been kind of playing more of the warm-up games and friendlies and qualifiers, but he brings in Boyata, and I thought Boyata actually played really well. Uh, someone on Twitter said they're going to start the Boyata fan club. Um That's how <laughs> impressed some people were with him. So I think that was like a pleasant surprise. Um De Bruyne, yeah, he's not likely to play against Denmark. I think there's a kind of like a decision to be made Um, he's going to start training with the team again, uh, according to like newspaper reports and stuff like that. Then they're going to have to make a decision. But I think winning this game in such a comfortable manner means that they don't feel like they need to rush him back in for Denmark. They can save him for the Finland game instead. So I wouldn't expect to see him in the Denmark game. Um, If he is, he'll come off the bench. I don't think he'd start. I don't think they're going to jump him straight in. But I feel like the Finland game is probably like likely for him to come in. I think it will be important for him to at least get some minutes under his belt before they go into the um kind of knockout stages. Presuming they'll get there. Obviously I can't imagine they won't get there. Um but yeah, I think seeing Lukaku play like he did and the way he was up for it on that game, I think everyone's kind of like, yeah, this as long as the defence it's kind of the defence is the issue. It's like going forward everything's fine. So many good players. Hazard obviously came back in as well, so you've got him to contend with and all the other sort of players. It's just the defence that you're slightly worried about. And depends when they're going to get tested. I'm not sure if Finland and Denmark are going to test them to the levels that you kind of will get tested later on in the competition. Mm -hmm. I can resonate with that as an
0: Englishman who follows Russian (laughs) football. That the defense is one of the pre-tournament worries, anyway. Maybe, yeah. Maybe not yet, but with, I mean, De Bruyne is obviously a big miss. I mean, it goes without saying whatsoever, but. Of course, Axel Witzel, Witzel is also currently out in injured. And, but is that the first... I mean, De Bruyne starts, but is Witzel as much of a miss? Or with the form Yuri Tielemans is in, would you rather have him in the side anyway? Or is, is Witzel's game important because he can bring that defensive side to kind of protect Tongan's legs, and, and perhaps Marlin? if Marlin has to come on?
2: Yeah, I think Witzel... Yeah, I think we can't underestimate how important Witzel is. I think he's just as important as De Bruyne. Um, and when you play the two of them together, the balance is just perfect because Witzel will do that. Like you said, he'll do that protection work and stuff like that. And he's still like super athletic, super like high quality player. Um, and he was kind of like the bigger worry. I think obviously De Bruyne is quality and everyone knows that. But I think people were kind of worried if oh, Fitzel's not there with the weak defence. Well not necessarily weak defence, like it's got the experience, but like Tongan obviously went off injured, so he's potentially out of the Denmark game. He should be back for the Finland game, but they're not so sure. He's got like a swollen ankle. Um so yeah, you may see Vermalen come in there, or they'll go for Danea. I don't know who they're gonna pick in that spot. But yeah, getting Vitzel back, I think, is key, especially when you're up against the big teams and when you're gonna be tested more because he would allow them to play in such a way that they wanna play and get the players pushing forward. And he he allows De Bruyne to do that stuff, but I think yeah, if you've got, it's got it's such a nice thing to have, isn't it? Like Vitzel, Tielemans, De Bruyne all playing at high level. I thought Dendonka was quite good as well. Um, mm-hmm. He's obviously not at the same level as Vitzel, um, but yeah, Tielemans, he he's been fantastic this season for Leicester. Um, he had so much time on the ball as well on Saturday. I think that was quite a nice warm up, kind of getting into the game for him. He just seemed to be always be in space. I think a couple of like. Belgium fans could have kind of wanted to do a little bit more with the ball. But I think like Richard said, they didn't really need to get out of third gear. Like They were just kind of coasting through the game.
0: Yeah, I think what's
2: kind of nice about Belgium in that sense is that
0: because of Belgium's ruthlessness and consistency in group stages of late, in the one, was it, eight out of the last nine group stage games? Something, some crazy start like that went to a very high level of which because of that ruthlessness and that consistency at this level and being able to see lesser teams off, if that's no disrespect to any of the teams who go out in the groups, but because of that, you can not have to risk De Bruyne, not have to risk Witzel until they are fully up to fitness. And that's more so indicative of the, and what, what I really think is what's strong about Belgium is the, the pure strength and depth in the forward positions. I think, I mean, Den- Jason Denier has very very, been very good in the last few years in mean, Champions League semi-finalists two years ago. But the Sunderland fan in me can't keep at the back of my head how bad he was for us to David Moyes. I know he's a totally different player than, it what, three or four years ago now. But that, I, that's always going to just sit there. And I'm I'm, I'm haunted by the spectre of Jason Denier pa- back-passing in their own net ones. But um, I think that's the one area of Belgium squad where they're not really as much strength and depth if you take Lukaku out... Like, obviously, yeah, Lukaku, one of the greatest strikers in in Europe right now, and oh, I think he was one of the pre tournament favourites of the Golden Boot alongside Harry Kane, then there is sufficient enough quality to, to replace him for these sort of games. If you take De Bruyne out, Witzel out, then Dendonka and Tielemans are more than enough to, to get through Russia and um, Denmark and Finland, once again, without disrespect to them. So, it's... Not really a massive headache for Martinez. I don't think. I don't. I don't think he needs to risk them because if we, were a ghost, if we go back to Saturday's performance. Then I thought I was really impressed by by Telemans's control and his maturity in attacking areas. Ben, I don't know what, what do you think
2: about who, how he played? Yeah, no, I was quite impressed. Ah, um, Yoris on the podcast wasn't as impressed. I thought he was one of those ones that expected him to do more. But yeah, no, I thought. Yeah, I thought he just looked really calm on the ball. Like every time, I think. I think Russia just gave him far too much space. Um, he yes, just definitely. seemed to always have so much space, and like the defense was pushing up so high as well, and like kind of helping him out in that sense. But no, I yeah, I'm a big fan of Telemans for sure. I think he played really well. Um, yeah, I think on Lukaku. I think yeah, if Lukaku isn't there, I think yeah, Batshuayi will probably score goals and he always seems to score goals for Belgium he's sort of like the Belgian like Danny Welbeck I guess to kind of compare him to an English player (laughs) Um, then there's also like there's other players that he's got at his disposal like we're quite excited about Jeremy Doku Um, Mm. um, I think he'll at some point he's going to play him I think what yeah like you said what they kind of have which is so lucky and now with five substitutes as well is that they can get all these players minutes during the group stages so that when they get into the knockout stages, everyone's kind of had a bit of tournament football. They've got the feel for it. So no one's coming in a little bit like, oh, this is my first minutes of the game. And now we're suddenly in a knockout game. It's like, no, I've, had, I've played a bit of the group stages and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. And I thought kind of before the game with this one, it was like, okay, we're playing, they're playing Russia in Russia. Kind of, you're looking back sort of like, oh, Russia 2018 World Cup home advantage. They were like really surprising and really good. But then as the game starts I was like, this is a completely different kind of feel to this game. Belgium seemed to be way more comfortable in this situation. They're way more in control of everything. And yeah, I just thought they could have kind of put the hammer down if they really wanted to and really, really racked up the goals, but they just didn't seem that fussed about it. They were like, we've got the two, we're ahead. Then they grabbed the third. It was just kind of quite casual. And yeah, I think if Lukaku really, really wanted to, he probably could have been like, "No, guys, I want to go for some goals here. I could really get a head start on Harry Kane and a couple of other strikers." But I'd be surprised if he isn't the Golden Boot winner, just judging by the look of that first game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I
0: think obviously the I think the pre, three pre-tournament favorites were him, Kane, and Mbappe. Which I mean, that it's it's going to be one of them. Mm. Um, I think the way that. What, what favours Lukaku is Belgium's style of play. Belgium's style of play is really trying to get the best out of Lukaku and releasing him behind. Obviously, England want Kane to score, but a lot of what Kane does is actually does, and, and maybe sometimes doesn't get credit for it as well, is the how willing he is to come deep and do some of the dirtier work to create the space for others. I think part of the counter-attack that saw Raheem Sterling scores Kane vacated the space, dragged a defender away that Sterling then got, cast into and got Got in the end of Phillips's ball. Now that's great for England, but it's not necessarily that helpful for Kane trying to get the golden boots. And if Lukaku's in the form he was last night, I mean, the finish for the first one was absolutely brilliant. Shunin had no chance. Um, and then for the third one, the run, the timing of the run to get to just steam away from Devey, like he wasn't even there. And then the finish from taking it so early, just I think there's question marks over Shunin with his positioning. But because Lukaku hit it so early, he just completely caught him off guard. And that ruthlessness is, is exactly what he's he's done for Inter Milan all season. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was Lukaku as well. I think it's it's hard to look away from that. Um, one funny little part that happened last night was uh, the introduction of Denis Cheryshev. Of course, Dela went off injured um, as a result of a, a clashed head. And... <laughs> um, Cherishev replaced him in the 30th minute and then half an hour later, by the hour mark, Cherishev himself was hooked off and replaced by Lyosha Maranchuk. Now Cherishev is an interesting case because he's he's kind of loved by a lot of more casual football fans in Russia, if That's the fair thing to call them because as listeners all well know, you have like people who follow RPL and then those who are Spornaya fans and national team fans and they don't really follow domestic football that much. So to them, Cheryshev is a hero because of what he did in 2018. But he hasn't played at all for Valencia in 2021. He hasn't scored for them in like 20, 21 games it is now. And he hasn't played barely for Russia since he was called up for the Euros team and then played in the, the friendlies leading up to the up to the tournament. But so there's a lot of speculation about whether or not Cherishev was injured. or But I'm sure Stani has actually confirmed since that bringing him on and off again was actually tactical. And Cheryshev was absolutely dreadful. Um, He's a bizarre player because you can see he has quality and he wouldn't be in the La Liga for a decade or so if he didn't have that quality. But it really looks like for the first... It didn't in 2018, but it is now. It looks like he's unlike Lukaku, who's jumped on the back of his brilliant form this season and he's absolutely flying. His confidence is as high as it's been for a very long time, probably since he was at Everton, if not even better now with the with the domestic title as well in his hands but um, Cherishev really seems to be one who's on the other side of that where he's completely lacking in match fitness in general and that's one of his biggest issues he, he plays a major tournament then barely plays for four years in between he has been transfer listed at Valencia but Richard I know you follow Spanish football quite closely are you surprised that Cherishev was in the squad in the first place and well how did you think he played last night and in Russia's attack in general? Because to me it was like Artie Amazubo was just totally isolated.
1: Yeah, that's my thoughts exactly, James. Um on Cheryshev, as I say, I've watched I watched quite a lot of the Liga, but I've not really been seeing much of Valencia recently. They're, they're kind of a club in turmoil, players leaving left, right and centre, fans rebelling against the owners. And with regards to Cheryshev, it's one of those players we've sort of, haven't we, on, on previous RFM pods, we've sort of been waiting for this Cheryshev breakthrough. We thought we had it in 2018. It was like, yes, at long last, you're 27, entering the prime years of your career. Finally, we're going to start seeing this breakthrough. And he was playing at Valencia back then. Uh, he had a spell at Villarreal, didn't he? But, yeah, just we're not seeing this kind of breakthrough. And it's just such a real disappointment. And I think he, I've got, I kind of get this impression that, in six to 12 months, he's probably going to be back in Russia and he'll have a couple of steady seasons out back in Russia and then probably finish off in three or four years' time. It's a real frustrating thing because, you know, obviously someone who's trained in a Real Madrid academy is going to be of a high level. Same with Barcelona. If, you, if, training, if you've if you trained in one of those two academies and have a youth product there, the, the quality of coaching that you've received, and you're going to be, you know, a, you should be in theory a decent player at minimum you know, someone who's good enough at minimum to play second level in Spain, which is obviously, obviously based on recent RF, RPL teams in Europe's performances. is comfortably good enough to play for a decent RPL-sized club. Um, but yeah, we're, we're sort of left a bit underwhelmed, really, with the um, with Cheryshev. Um, it's going to be a big big couple of um, months and years ahead for him. Um, just hope he can, can finally show, showcase the form he showed at Russia 2018, but time is running out for him. Um, and as for the game in general, well, I mean, we kind of said it on our pod, didn't we, three, four weeks ago. This was our fear that the squad rusher had picked. You only have to look at the three forwards, Artem Zuber, um Alexander Sobolev and Anton Zabalotny. They're all quite tall strikers who you get the ball up to. And we, we were literally saying, didn't we, that he'd only picked three strikers. I thought when the squad was announced, it was quite midfield heavy and forward light. And, you know, we were saying on the pod, didn't we, what is the tactics for Russia going to be at this world, at these Euros, get the ball up to Zuba. But what else? There's no one making run. There was no one. He was literally, like you said, he was isolated up front. It seemed to me that there was no one really to either side of him who could, you know, make runs beyond him. You know, I'm not expecting him to go gung-ho against Belgium, obviously, because Belgium are a top quality side. But you did expect a little bit more, like in terms from an attacking point of view. You know, Russia were playing at home in in St. Petersburg. You do expect a little bit. It's not as if they went away to Stade de France to play France, Stade de France to play, you know, the French national team or something like that. They were playing at home. And, you know, I'm not, I say not expecting gung ho, but just push a few more people further forward. But, you know, with Kazayev and Zobin in there, it it was pretty much a squad design, a team designed to try and completely nullify Belgium. But, yeah kind of left Zuba isolated up top. And, you know, Golovin didn't have anyone to hit as well. You know, I mean, he was kind of running around like a mouse in a maze. You know, he he didn't have anybody to hit out wide as well. You know, it's it's just, it was just, yeah, the, the squad select, the, the team selection was just, yeah, not great. Um And Zuba no, no. just, no, no. And Zuba just, you know, like you said, just isolated. But he was boiling away and, yeah.
0: It really stems with me. I mean, well want I get through the the issues of the Russian national team And where they stem from We'll probably be here for about 8 hours But if we just <laughs> take it into isolation And purely this match, this squad It it does stem, for me, with, with, Stani, with uh, Stanislav Chichisov Every single time Now, Chichisov is basically a hero still um, He's regularly frequented at one of Putin's Dachas Outside of Moscow And the one down near Black Sea Coast His big palace down there um, he's he's constantly having breakfasts with Putin and and the speaker on a pretty much daily basis, and because of that, his job never has been and never will be at threat. He will only leave when he decides to leave, and unfortunately, he's the most stubborn man in Russia. Uh, the the it, Russia is literally <laughs> like an epitome of Stani's football and what he likes in a footballer. He likes. Physicality, experience, industriousness, above anything else. Up top, all his strikers are exactly the same. As you said, Richard, there's no plan B. It's all the, the big, burling target man, and it's going to be backs to the wall with your big, burly defenders, who are defenders first, defenders second, and then actually play their ball third. And in midfield, it's all very industrious. His preferred defensive partnership down on the left was Kudryashov and Shirkov. Zhirkov's 38 in August and Kudryashov's 36 at the end of the tournament. It's all just, and and everything on Saturday night was that. It was watching Yuri Zhirkov try and not do his hip in by chasing shadows all night. It was sitting deep with 11 men behind the ball, 10 men behind the ball, backs against the wall and hitting it long. If you're going to have a low block like that, you need to apply some pressure. Even if it's just one man at a time and they take the turn. And because you don't want to be too open It's against Belgium, of course you don't want to be. But if you're applying zero pressure and all you've got is Zuber, who's on the wrong end of 30, was never fast, was never particularly energetic, just constantly running his arse off, trying to press these three defenders. With the movement that Tielemans had, With the, I mean, I wasn't massively impressed by Dendonka in the final third, but that's not his job. Dendonka's progression from defence and getting it up, was I was really impressed by that. And partly because Russia allowed it. There was just not enough pressure whatsoever in the final third. And a lot of this stems back to the squad selection, who's been omitted. The team selection on the day, Denis Makarov, has been in great form this season. He's the only winger on Russia's team. And that in fact, includes Lyosha and Golovin, who's got a real lightning quick pace. And when you're sitting backs against the wall like that, you need that in the final third. They just offered absolutely nothing. I think the only shot on target came from a corner, a set piece, and that was literally the only place that a Russia goal would have came from. But Richard, any last words on on Russia's performance last night in general before I go back to Ben?
1: Yeah, um, I'll, I'll quickly just mention that. And I actually have actually got a question for Ben at the end, which I'll, we, can, we can feed into when we go back to Ben. Um, I just wanted to mention with Church off I think it all starts to turn. I have noticed he's been getting a lot more criticism online recently as well. I think the goodwill period definitely now is over for him. Um, I have noticed as well that um, I think where it all started to go wrong for Cherchesov was October because that was the two results where I think it changed. If you remember, it was the Nations League. It was nil-nil against Turkey and nil-nil against Hungary. And, you know, and they were the third and fourth games of Russia's Nations League campaign. And at that point, they'd won two games. They won their first two matches and they were in a brilliant position to win their group, win promotion to Nations League A and then, you know, carry on the good vibe factor from the World Cup. And then those two draws just stalled it all. And then there was the, the fiasco in Serbia in that final Nations League group where Russia went from being top at the start of the match day to third, you know, and just just absolutely nowhere. And it was just an embarrassing night in Belgrade. And I think really those two results, that should have been the warning sign for off Right, this side's gone as far as it can go. You know, we often talk in club football about... Um, about you a know, manager need to freshen it up after a while. It's the same in international football. Eventually, after a while, your squad gets old. You need to replenish it with younger players. Players lose form. You need to replace them with players playing better. Now, look, Russia doesn't have a huge talent pool of players, but surely I just don't understand the justification you can have for picking Yuri Zhirkov anymore. I mean, yes, three years ago, he was still playing at a decent level for Zenit. He was still playing at a decent level for the Russian national team but it's just been so clearly obvious for the last 12 to 18 months that he's just not at the level anymore. I mean, it's funny, I was I was reading, thinking about this the other day, like every 20 years at major tournaments, I'm, okay, it's 21 because this is a year later than what it should have been, but I'm thinking 10-year in gaps between tournaments, there's always a player who a national team manager keeps picking, even though they just can't see that he's done. Like I remember all the way back at Euro 2000, Lota Mateus kept getting picked despite being 39 and his legs are gone. I remember Marcello Lippi picking Fabio Cannavaro for Italy at the South Africa World Cup, even though two months earlier Bobby Zamora had completely destroyed him at Craven Cottage. It was obvious he he was gone, and now it, this is ten years on from that. It's now Yuri Zhirkov. I mean, it's it's literally just staggering. And yeah, the, the squad selection, as we were all saying in our chat with Denis Makarov, he really needed to come in. You know, Makarov, he's not an out an out winger, but he adds something, a bit of guile, a bit of speed down the line. Someone. For you know Zuba to find someone for Golovin to feed with balls, I think Mostovoy's withdrawal from the tournament pre-tournament with COVID was a blow as well. You know again someone offers a bit of a bit of speed down the wing and a bit of guile. He's he's been okay. Mostovoy not really hit the ground yet for Zenit. He had a good loan spell at Sochi. Just something a little bit different. You know it, it just seemed like a very static side. And yeah, Zuba was just ploughing a lone furrow up front on his own, and I, I did feel sorry for him. Um, and and yeah, and the goalkeeping situation too. You know, it was it was Guillaume until until like that disastrous night in Belgrade against Serbia. And then he switched to Shunin and you can't really keep switching your keeper. That's why. And even though Shunin hasn't had a great season, I sort of understood why he's kept with Shunin in goal because you don't really want to be changing your goalkeeper again. You don't want to get into that kind of habit. Um, and yeah, it's it's going to require from Churchysoft some 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 rethinking now, and he's got to act fast. I mean, I personally like I said, after the tournament, even if Russia go out in the first round, I still don't see Churches being sacked because they're already partly into the 2022 World Cup qualifying section. He's got a contract till the end of that tournament in December 2022. Um, but yeah, I think now has come the time for Churches to start experimenting. We've seen, it's been kind of that time now for the last 10 months or so and he's not really been doing it. He needs to start now because the side has regressed from three years ago. Um so, yeah, that's that's my two cents on that and squad selection. And, um, yeah, I'll get on to my question now for Ben. Um, i just wondering with uh, this Belgian side, obviously um, much has been made in the media about it being the last this this golden generation for Belgium's last chance in a major tournament. Do you, do you share that belief? Or do you think that, that they could stretch it out to 2022, World Cup in Qatar and have another chance with that? Because a lot of this side now is at their peak. Maybe, as you mentioned earlier, the defence probably getting on a little bit now, but... I still think this side could stretch out to twenty twenty two if needs be, you know. I mean, but obviously, yeah, this tournament is a massive opportunity because a lot of these players are at their peak. But do you see this as the very last chance for these set of players, or do you think twenty twenty two is quite realistic too with with the majority of this squad?
2: Yeah, I I think twenty twenty two. I think the defense because it's literally like when we're thinking about it, just, it's only next year. Um, I think yeah, this is a lot, obviously the last chance at European kind of tilt because I just don't see where you're getting the new defenders from. And for them to be at the level that these guys have been playing at, like, Adavad Vertonghen, like these guys have been playing top, top level football for most of their careers now, um, that's where my one worry is. Because we've seen, we see it in the Pro League, we've seen it, like, when there are, like, young attacking players coming through who I think could make the step up. I don't know if they'll get to the level of, like, a De Bruyne because he's just ridiculous. But I think you think, you like, Lukaku's not, Going to be that much older next in like a year's time. I don't. You're never going to get a drop off in that sense, and like the rest of the teams should be fine. It is just that back line that you're worried about. But I think 2022, yeah, I think they'll have a chance. But I think when you then factor in kind of the teams that have to come up against to get there, like you presume a team like a Brazil, you'd worry about a, that kind of attacking flair that they have going up against the side like Belgium in terms of defense and stuff. So. Yeah, I think it's better for them to kind of put more pressure on this tournament and not even, I think they're just not thinking about the World Cup and that sort of stuff, but they have a chance, but I just don't know if with when you add in all the other teams in the World Cup, whether they'll be able to do it. But yeah, these, this year and next year, it's the final chance for this generation, I think. Do you think that perhaps
0: some one of the younger players fr- from the under-21s, like uh, Charles de Catelet, could have been, Perhaps given a chance because he was—he really impressed me in the in the Zenit Bruges game
2: at the start of last season. Um, I don't think so. Um, I like him. I think he's got some development to do. I don't think he's ready yet. I think um, compared to the other players that you'd have had to leave out, I don't think it'd have been the right decision to make. And I also don't yeah. think we've really worked out his best position yet like he's played out wide he's played in behind the striker he's played as the striker like in the Zenit games he was playing as the striker but then in the league that wasn't where he was playing they didn't use him as a striker they'd use him out wide and he's shown like flashes of brilliance So i know that like, Bruges fans are really really hyped about him um and we like we really like him but we're not entirely convinced that he is completely ready for this like especially for this tournament and there were some other players that he left that he didn't bring like uh, Sambi Lokonga has been playing really well for Anderlecht. He didn't include him because they're just not quite ready yet. Um, I think, yeah, De Ketelaar, I think he needs another season at Club Rouge, at least consistently at the playing at the top level, adding more goals and assists to his game and then I think Martínez will look at him, but I'm pretty sure he's on his mind, but yeah, I think he wouldn't have been ready, although he'd have probably enjoyed to play this game in St. Petersburg, because that will be, yeah, a place he has fond memories of, but yeah, not 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 just yet for Charles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just far too stuck to the in the final third of the pitch,
0: mm-hmm. really. But yeah, we, I mean, I didn't want to be too harsh on Russia because of the quality of, of Belgium and in, in the squad and the, the play on the night in general, and I actually I was surprised when Martinez got the Belgium job, but I think there's not a single doubt doubt out there anymore with what he's been able to do with the squad. I mean, Belgium for a while have had very strong players, but this is really the best that they've had, and he's really getting some not good performance, good performances and results out of them. Um, I think I think most of the doubters were. Forgetting that international tournament at football and domestic football are two totally different cattles of fish. Um, look at Gareth Southgate. He's doing, I think, quite well with England. But if any big job in the Premier League, English Premier League, would come up, then I don't think he would even be considered. Uh, I think it's just two totally different styles, and styles of management and different people cater to that. Stanley Chichesov, yes, he won the Czech League and he's won the Polish League and he, he's managed various teams in Russia over the years, probably did the best with Dynamo, getting them in Europe that time but he's just far too stubborn and arrogant to be able to to be amenable to be a successful international manager in my opinion, I think Richard Young you hit the nail bang on the head, it was that 5 nil uh, with Serbia where they were four down at half time and then the 0-0 draw with Moldova that happened just after that in that 0 0 draw with Moldova, which you might think is nowhere near as embarrassing as the 5 0 Serbia. But that was really the last call up for a lot of the exciting youngsters and a lot of the under 21 crop. That's when he decided to give them a chance. And Daveyev struggled, Daniel Fomin struggled, Chalov struggled, Yevgenyev. We haven't seen Obliakov in, in any form of Russia squad since then at all. We haven't seen Sherlan Kambakayev, who's not a youngster, a little bit older. But these are his, he, he has his core that he trusts. And I don't trust that court to get out of this group whatsoever, even in third place, especially with Finland's result. But as a little aside, as we do finish off here, Richard, well, as it's the first of our Euros tournaments, what's your prediction for Russia? Then, just in general for for the tournament,
1: <laughs> I've just not got that much enthusiasm about them getting out of the group. And I know it sounds really bad. I can't say for certain whether they'll come bottom of the group yet. But Finland's result against Denmark the other, the other night, on, well, on the same night, has certainly now um, thrown this group wide open. I mean, I think Belgium are going to clean this group up. They're going to win all three of their games. So it could be quite close between the other, the other three sides in the group. Um, I mean, if Russia can get a result against Finland, suddenly then second place looks on, you know. But but do you really have any confidence? I mean, based on what we've seen in re- recent results from Cherchisov, you know. The results prior to the Euros weren't great either. You know, the win against the wins against Malta and Slovenia in World Cup qualifying weren't great. They lost away against Slovakia. The first really tough game of the World Cup qualifying so far. You know, they they, they lost away and deservedly lost away against Slovakia as well. Mm. The two friendlies prior to the tournament against the Poland side who were missing a number of first team players in Bulgaria who are just dreadful at the moment weren't weren't great either. I'm not entirely confident. I mean, do I f- will Russia get some points on the board? I think they probably might, but will they get through? That's looking a bit more of a difficult prediction at the moment. Um, you know, I mean, look, I didn't expect them to beat Belgium, you know, um, again, in St. Petersburg uh, the other night, but you expected a little bit better of a performance uh, from them. Uh, it was a poor performance and, you know, especially considering, you know, I thought, you know, even though I didn't think Russia would win the game, I thought, you know, with Hazard having injury issues at Real Madrid this season and De Bruyne being out, it might, you know, it was a bit of a glimmer of hope for Russia that they might be able to get some from the game, but if they played really well. But yeah, I think that was just extinguished straight away. Belgium, you know, were comfortable all evening, didn't even have to play that well. And yeah, I'm not, Greatly enthusiastic based on what I've seen pretty much since that October international break and those 2 0 0 draws. I think that's when it's all kind of gone downhill for Stanley, and he, he needs to adapt now. And I think desperate times call for desperate measures, and he, he needs to adapt now and start to integrate younger players in this side. But but it's like you said, James, like you know, a lot of the minutes for the younger players have dried up in recent games, and I actually do think that he's not overly bro- bl- overblown on overly that keen on, sorry, on um, Deveyev as well. You know, I think. He had that difficult half against Serbia, didn't he, in the recent friendly. And I think since then, Churchesov hasn't really been too fond of him. Obviously, look, every single manager, you know, is, is going to have players who they rate and don't particularly rate or use more and use less. But I don't think he's been that fond of Deveev. And I mean, personally speaking, I I probably would sub him in against um, against Finland in place of um, Semyonov, who obviously had a mare and has not had a brilliant season. But I suspect uh, Stani will go with much of the same, um, but yeah, not overly mm-hmm. confident at the moment. Have to be honest, It's worrying sign. Worrying signs.
0: Yeah, likewise. I think the Finland result really opened the group up in terms of the ch- the race for second. But without wanting to analyse that too much, because I don't actually want to. Um, after what happened, to be to be frank, but all I will say is that I think because of what went on and. Kasper Schmeichel's dad, of course, the famous great Dane himself, Peter Schmeichel, has said that um, they were kind of forced to do it. He, this is his claim, that he claims that they were either they were backed into a corner where they could either play the game then, in the morning, or forfeit 3-0. Uh, and I think because of what happened, um, that really affected the Denmark players, and you could tell on the pitch that it affected them. So I think that result is potentially an anomaly, and... I don't think it's it's even worth analysing it too much because of what I went on in the pitch. But Ben, what's your pre- predictions for our expectations, at least for Belgium, for the rest of the tournament?
2: Yeah, so I think I agree with you guys. I think they're going to wrap this group up. Um, it's a shame, yeah, because I thought, again, I thought Denmark would be a, a tough test and it's just like really sad how that's played out for them. Um, I still think they will be. But I think Belgium will have too much for them and you just, yeah, psychologically you don't know where those players are at and there's just no kind of, you just feel for them, I think. um, Yeah. And then I think, yeah, obviously with Finland, I think we'll see them against Finland. I think we'll see a bit more experimentation. I think a, a couple of other different players will play. Um, Martins will maybe mix it up a little bit. I think they can, they can go really far. It's just depending on who they come up against and. How well that defence can deal with it, and yeah, if Fitzson and De Bruyne come back in and they're playing at the level that they can play, I think they can definitely like semi finals minimum. I think we've said that on our podcast, we've been like, they, they we think they'll get to the semi finals, but then when you get there, anything can happen. Um, obviously, I want England to win it, um, <laughs> but. If Belgium, (laughs) yeah, I I think they can. It's just so dependent. And if Lukaku stays fit, like any injury to him, I do worry in the latter stages because I think he is going to be such a difference maker in these games, especially when you've got the creativity of De Bruyne. If Hazard gets fit as well, like he's kind of this unknown kind of factor because we don't know if he's going to reach the levels that he's shown before. If he starts to reach those levels, it kind of again elevates them to another level where potentially they don't have to even worry about the defence because attacking-wise, they're just so good. Um, So, semi-finals, I'm pretty confident they'll get there. Not too sure if they can push on past that with the defence, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think think it is fair to say that with Lukaku. I mean, Belgium aren't over-reliant on Lukaku, but Belgium are one of those teams where the central striker is probably one of the most integral parts of the side. Um, Belgium with Lukaku, Kane, and England, and even then Russia with Artem Zuba. Uh, if Zuba's not on form or Russia can't get him, get him into the game, then you really struggle to see where the game winners are coming from elsewhere. And then Turkey with Barak Yilmaz. Belgium on one of those sides where if anything happens to Lukaku, then, then you could worry. But I mean, when it when Harry Kane went down. And had his little bit of in a, a little bit of an injury scare in the England's opening game, and he died inside. But thankfully, it all seemed all right in the end. And unfortunately for Russia, it wasn't quite all right on Saturday night with the, of course, go down three nil. Um, Russia's next game is in Group B. Of course, is is that Finland game that Richard mentioned earlier, and we'll be back uh, after that with some guys, some some Finnish guys to to review all the action and. That is the end of this week's RFN podcast. Just uh thanks again to Richard and Ben for, for both coming on. Pleasure as always. Thanks for having me on. This has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now.
2: Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь, Но мяч берет в ноги решительный прадарь, Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок.
1: Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, Быстро, увлечение, расчет.